0: My friends, the adolescence of humanity is coming to an end. We must show that we are capable of finally taking responsibility for the destruction we are inflicting, not just upon our planet, but upon ourselves. It's time for humanity to grow up.
1: Welcome to Radio Davos, the podcast from the World Economic Forum that looks at the biggest challenges and how we might solve them. This week, we're looking back on the Sustainable Development Impact Summit that just wrapped up and we're looking ahead to the COP26 climate summit, which is just weeks away.
2: We could stop using our atmosphere as an open sewer. That is the heart of the crisis.
1: Al Gore, one of the many global figures at the SDI summit, looking at the urgent challenges the world faces and seeking solutions.
0: We as humans, we've never solved our biggest challenges by putting progress in reverse. We will only do it by shifting a few gears up in using technology.
1: Subscribe to Radio Davos wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a rating or review, and join us on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club on Facebook. I'm Robin Pomeroy, and with a roundup of some of the best bits of the Sustainable Development Impact Summit,
3: we should not bet our house or our planet on just one a solution, because we will need
0: a mix of things.
1: This is Radio Davos.
0: We're approaching that critical turning point in less than two months, in... Uh, just over 40 days, we need all countries to step up and commit to very substantial reductions by 2030 by making commitments in four areas. Coal, cars, cash and trees. Coal, cars, cash and trees.
1: UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson banging the lectern as he spoke at the United Nations General Assembly in New York just weeks before he hosts the World at the Climate Summit COP26 in Glasgow. While Mr Johnson was giving that call to action, leaders from business, civil society and governments were also meeting online at the World Economic Forum Sustainable Development Impact Summit, a four-day event with thousands of attendees. You can catch up with the action from there on wef.ch sdis21. And to help us talk through some of the best bits here on Radio Davos, I'm joined by Antonia Gavel, who is head of climate action at the World Economic Forum. Hi, Antonia, how are you?
4: I'm doing well, thank you.
1: So we heard Boris Johnson there using the UN General Assembly as a call to action for COP26. In what way can the Sustainable Development Impact Summit also be seen as a curtain raiser for COP26?
4: We're now literally weeks ahead of COP26 happening at the beginning of November. And so SDIS, where we try to really bring together many stakeholders, obviously, that need to be mobilized into climate action from business, from governments, but also civil society and, and youth and innovators. You know, SDIS has always sat alongside the UNGA as well to kind of galvanize more government commitment. Absolutely. For us, this has been a sort of key mobilization
1: effort. There were some interesting speakers, Antonia. Did anyone strike you um, talking about climate change over the week?
4: The voices that we heard from on climate change, we we really had a range, right? So from some of our business leaders, you know, the likes of Jesper Broden and and Ficus Abesma, who have been really driving our, our corporate climate action work, um, but also,
1: remind which which companies are they from?
4: So Jesper Brodin is the CEO of IKEA. Um, fike Sebesma, former CEO of DSM, and, and now is sort of chairman of of Philips as well. But I think with the forum, they've really been kind of pushing their leadership efforts in in building and creating our CEO Climate Leaders Alliance, which is now 113 companies um, who who have set Paris-aligned targets and are really trying to mobilize action on climate. So I think on one hand, we heard from them and many other companies and, and CEOs. But of course, we also heard from the likes of Jennifer Morgan, you know Greenpeace, who do continue to, I think, importantly, drive, um, let's say, a kind of reality check into the situation to say, look, yes, it's great that all of these companies are standing up to to take commitments. But actually, really, what we need to see is action now. And we need to have emissions by 2030. And unless we see that, we're not going to be on course um, and so i think this this combination of reality check on one hand kind of commitment action from the companies on the other um, really struck me as as kind of that balance we need to strike in a sense um, but equally i think the the solutions are inspiring as well right so when we have kind of innovators from from our uplink platform coming forward with kind of incredible new solutions. I think this is also what gives us uh, incredible hope that actually, yes, if we do bring together our innovation capabilities, we, we can tackle this crisis. You know, it is possible.
1: I've done a couple of episodes of Radio Davos about Uplink. It's really interesting. This is where innovators or inventors, people who've got great ideas for solving certain problems along certain themes can submit them and kind of get access to a network of other people trying to find solutions and also potential investors and advice along the way. Talking to the speakers during the week, um, I put out a couple of interesting ones. This is Alexander de Croix, who is the Prime Minister of Belgium. And he's making the point that the recent extreme weather events have shown everyone there's no denial anymore of climate change.
0: Throughout Europe and actually throughout the world, all of us have been confronted with, with weather phenomena, which opened the eyes of even the last ones who were doubting on the impact of, uh, of of climate change. And also economically, just one element, agriculture in Belgium, high highly intensive agriculture. We've seen that over the last five years in a lot of crops, actually the, uh, the productivity has gone down. Whereas over the last decades, every year we would see a gradual uh, augmentation of of productivity. So it's in the minds of people, but it's also in the economic heart of our our society uh, today. We are deeply convinced that technology and innovation is going to be the way we get out of this. And we will, we as humans, we've never solved our biggest challenges. By putting progress in reverse, uh, we will only do it by shifting a few gears up in uh, in using uh, in using technology and just giving you a few concrete elements. One, for example, is in, in zero emission cars. We have taken a decision that by 2026, all our corporate fleets needs to be zero emission. That is approximately uh, 15% of the of the total of the car fleet mandatory zero emission by 2026 that is actually quite quite soon other element is is for example in in offshore wind uh, offshore wind we are today uh, the number 4 worldwide in installed uh, capacity which for a country with a rather small coastline is uh, is, is is remarkable we have done that by creating an ecosystem that was very attractive for, for our economy to invest in this. And we've created a whole sector that is basically uh, installing offshore wind farms throughout the world.
1: Alexander Croo, the Prime Minister of Belgium, speaking at the uh, Sustainable Development Impact Summit. Can I play you another one, Antonia? This is Al Gore, of course, famously uh, a US campaigner on climate change, former vice president. He doesn't mince his words about the importance, the overriding importance of the one thing we have to do to tackle climate change, which is reducing greenhouse gas emissions
2: but we're still putting 162 million tons of heat trapping man-made global warming pollution into that thin shell of atmosphere. It's so thin and it's trapping so much heat. It is disrupting the water cycle. It is creating all of these disasters and a projected potential 1 billion climate immigrants uh, crossing borders that's already uh, begun. And this has a destabilizing impact on some political systems. So let's make the best use of these next 40 days.
1: Al Gore on climate change speaking at the SDI summit. Now, what we focus on on Radio Davos and what the summit also looks at is not just the problems which were outlined there by Al Gore and Alexander Ducro, it's also the solutions. Were you given any encouragement from what you heard during the week? Did you hear anything that made you think, yeah, things are moving in the right direction?
4: Yeah, I think there were some good signals that uh, that emerged throughout the week, not not only in the context of of SDI, but also more broadly, of course. Um, so, you know, you mentioned, of course, Al Gore has been very kind of clear and and vocal on what needs to happen to address climate change for for a very long time now, and, and in a sense, those extreme weather events that we've seen undeniably over the past year have really struck a chord and woken many other people up. Um, And so this momentum that we're seeing is unfortunately, in a sense, I think also driven by uh, this reality check that we are in the midst of the climate crisis. It's not something that's on our doorstep anymore. Um, So in terms of sort of positive signaling to solutions, of course, we did see some some good commitments coming through also from governments, right? So, for example, in China, President Xi did make a commitment to stop um, investing in foreign coal plant development. Um, And this, of course, comes on the back of a number of other countries having made a similar commitment commitment earlier in the year um, at the Biden summit. And so this momentum of kind of key governments around the world really recognizing the role that they play uh, through kind of investments and stopping investments in key fossil fuel generating technologies um is is really starting to to kind of gain some really important momentum. And of course um President Xi's commitment to do that is is critical. Of course what what we need to then also kind of couple that with is in in economies around the world is tackling um emissions of course from energy electricity domestically as well so it's one thing to kind of of course stop investing in other countries but that domestic transition um in key economies is a huge part of that picture um and and of course in the context of let's say the political dynamics of climate finance is and continues to remain um a central issue uh there has been already a commitment Uh, In the context of the Paris climate negotiations, that 100 billion would be uh, deployed in order to support uh, energy transition and and climate transition in particular in developing economies. And this past week as well, we did see Biden commit to doubling um, the commitment from the U.S. to climate finance to raise it to about 11 billion annually.
1: Right. Let's hear a bit more from Al Gore talking about just that.
2: Just a few hours ago, speaking to the U.N. General Assembly in New York, uh, President Biden announced a doubling of the U.S. Uh, commitment on climate finance. The U.S. is now arguably doing its share. Some should will say it should be more. Of course, all nations should be doing more. But this should not be an obstacle. We have to make a success of the Glasgow conference. I'm optimistic that uh, President Biden will also succeed in our Congress. Uh, And China has pledged net zero by 2060. It's not soon enough. But the world is moving. It's just not moving fast enough. We could stop using our atmosphere as an open sewer. That is the heart of the crisis. We have to stop the greenhouse gas emissions from increasing and we have to reduce them. The rest of it, it's all footnotes. We have to stop using the sky as an open sewer.
4: And so these signals, I think of you know true additional finance coming to the table, um, additional kind of efforts to drive uh, decarbonization as well, um, to me really do signal positive direction, I think in the lead up to COP. But at the same time, we know there is quite a large gap to close in terms of sort of countries uh, stepping up to make those full national commitments that are required. Um, But equally on the private sector side, of course we have many CEO leaders who have set Paris aligned commitments for their companies. Um, but of course, there is much more action that needs to be taken to actually translate those commitments also into near term targets and bring more com- companies on board as well.
1: Let's hear from an energy company then. This is Judith Hartman, who is the Deputy Chief Executive Officer of Engie, if I'm pronounced that right, or NG, a French company. She's talking about the use of natural gas, how that's going to remain in the mix, but how in France they're moving towards a greener version of gas.
3: Often when people talk about the energy transition, they talk about just wind and solar. That's obviously incredibly important. You know, Angie, we're investing billions a year and are very confident that this is a huge opportunity for all of us but but really what you're seeing here is the system at the end has to work and it's not going to be by one technology you're going to have to have a uh, a balance here gas will be there for some time to stay to deal with the intermittency of uh, of the renewables and then uh, of course over time it's going to be incredibly important to work on the greening of gas you know today much of it is uh, still uh, for fossil, but you know france as, a, as an example has a target of a 10 percent uh target in uh, in 2030 which in uh, energy terms is very quickly and we believe that by 2050 all gas is going to be a renewable gas and i think there's so many technologies now available and we should not bet our house or our planet on just one a solution because we will need a mix of things
1: You're listening to Radio Davos, where we're listening back to a week at the Sustainable Development Impact Summit. We'll be back after this short break.
0: Get involved. Hold your team accountable. Let the leaders learn to lead.
5: Protecting people and the planet is the biggest challenge of our lifetime and one that will require a new type of leadership. CEO Clark Murphy understands this more than most. His firm, Russell Reynolds, has just released a first-of-its-kind report digging into what the new generation of sustainable leaders will need in the decades to come. The research is based on responses from 11 countries and insights from people at companies highest and lowest levels. Clark talked to Meet the Leader about the findings from what surprised him to what gave him pause. He also explained what inspires him and why the best resource leaders can tap are the people likely already in their organizations. People probably working on sustainability solutions as we speak.
0: So I don't think you need to ask the question anymore, are they ready are they excited or they want it? It's there. So tap the energy for change leaders.
5: I'm your host, Linda Lucina. Learn about all of this and more on the next Meet the Leader.
1: You're listening to Radio Davos, where Antonia Gavel, the head of climate action at the World Economic Forum, has helped me look back on the Sustainable Development Impact Summit. Antonio, when we think of climate change, we usually think of energy production, transport and heavy industry. But what about agriculture, which together with deforestation, other changes in the way we use the land, accounts about a third of greenhouse gas emissions?
4: We hear a lot about kind of the energy transition, investment in renewables, kind of developing new technology solutions, but actually, um, on one hand, ensuring that we preserve and protect our natural ecosystems, be they land or, or ocean-based, as, as important critical kind of climate sinks and stabilizers for um, our biosphere is is a, is a huge part of this, the solution as well as um, really managing land use, right? How are we making sure that we are um, restoring and also managing kind of land use practices in a way that is not contributing to climate impacts um, as today it is? And, and with increasing pressure. Um, So as we think about the solutions to climate change, we really need to think about this holistic perspective and approach. Yes, kind of industry energy transition on one side, um, but also kind of nature land use transition as a key part of the the picture and also solution. And then, of course, underpinning all that is our our sort of financial and economic markets. How do we transform the way that our, our economy is either incentivizing or disincentivizing um, you know either positive or pushing negative action for climate
1: and these are all issues that came up on day four of the sustainable development impact summit which was largely devoted to food Um, When it comes to food, beef production, for example, is a major emitter of methane, a powerful climate change gas. So what's the solution there? That was something that was discussed. We could eat less meat. You could explore feeding methods that reduce emissions. Or what about creating meat without animals? Speaking at the SDI summit, this was Carrie Chan, the chief executive of Avant Meats.
6: Look at the conversion of the animal feed to the meat product. If we put in 100 unit of the calorie into the animal feed, we only get about 10 to 15 unit of the calorie in terms of the meat product that we consume. So if we look at the efficiency rate, about 10% to 15%, it means a lot of wastage. So if you ask ask ourselves if our cars are actually, you know, not efficient in using the fuel, actually 80% are actually not used in driving the car, moving forward, we will wonder, what is the problem there? What can we improve? So what we work on is actually try to remove the animal as the middleman between the natural resources like the crops and the meat product that we want.
1: Carrie Chan, the chief executive of Avant Meats. Do you fancy, Antonia, a test tube steak? I mean, it is a reality the stuff exists. Um, I don't, have you ever had it? Do you fancy it?
4: I can't say that I've, I've ever had it, but but it is certainly to me, I think, amazing what advanced technology um can do today um, you know in a sense the the potential and this is where i you know I, I i refer to what does provide hope and inspiration the potential of sort of new innovations to be able to kind of genuinely tackle um, climate change through things like alternative protein um, is incredible and i think what we've seen uh, you know as as the clip shows is that um, trying to kind of a, recognize this growing demand for meat, right, for various reasons. I personally really don't eat much meat because of my environmental convictions, but that is a hard message for for some people and cultures to, to ascribe to. And so this is where I think this alternative approach um, is, is ingenious. And how can we embrace that and, and really try to kind of help scale those efforts? And I, I mean, at the forum for a number of years now, this is something that our our team um, has actually been looking at quite closely, and um, and they are running an initiative and have done some work with with Oxford University, um, which is basically kind of meet meet the future quote, quote unquote. Um, you know what is the future of alternative proteins, and and I think their findings are. Are really incredible in terms of the market potential, um, but also the fact that some of the biggest players in the industry are also are are actually looking at this very seriously. Um, they're not necessarily kind of you know pushing away from this concept, but they're actually embracing it as a potential future uh, market opportunity as well.
1: Yeah, and there were lots of discussions about the opportunities, the innovations, the way, the positive ways that we can address the climate crisis and sustainable development more widely. Listeners can find all those sessions at the website wf.org CH slash SDIS 21. And Tony, before we wrap up, let's just go back to COP26 and think about how can we know whether the climate summit has been a success or a failure? That was a question, a big question that the eminent economist and climate change expert Nicholas Stern addressed with a list of things. But number one was how fast are countries really going to slash their greenhouse gas emissions?
6: The level of emissions both in terms of net zero objectives and in terms of closing gaps up to 2030. And we have to put a lot of pressure on, particularly the G20, to uh, move much more strongly over these next few weeks. But we have to recognise that we're not going to get the roughly halving of emissions that we need in this decade to put us on track for 1.5. We must insist on strong progress, but we're not going to close that gap. So what we have to do as a second part of the story is try to build incredible mechanisms for ramping up. We want mechanisms over these next few years, not after 2030, for ramping up ambition over these coming years as we learn more about what's possible, as we tackle the political constraints. The next thing I wanted to mention was the whole understanding of climate and development. We need to be very clear that the drive to net zero is the development story of the 21st century. It's full of opportunity, it's full of innovation, discovery, investment, growth, job opportunities, if we get it right. So we have to dispose of this artificial horse race between environment and climate on the one hand and development and growth on the the other. On a third dimension, we have to get more specific about sectors. And I would emphasize the drive past coal. And I think that has to have a very high priority in what uh, we do right across the world and helping other countries in driving past uh, coal and investing in natural capital, not just for uh, the negatives which it does bring, but also for uh, biodiversity and development itself.
1: Nicholas Sterner, he continued his list, Antonia, of the priorities for COP26 with something you mentioned, which was finance.
6: The fourth area of success is finance. The right kind of finance in the right place, at the right time to uh, increase growth. But investment of the right kind now in the different clean, attractive things so the finance side of the story will be very important Uh, and the last uh, part of the story is resilience and so much of what we need to do is mitigation resilience and development think of mangroves think of restoring degraded land think of public transport think of decentralized uh, solar thinking about making the right kind of uh, buildings and city structures it's all of resilience, uh, mitigation, and development, packaged together if we get it right. So as we emphasize resilience as we must, we should not translate that into a horse race between resilience and mitigation and development. Good policy wraps them all up together, but we have to increase our emphasis on resilience as we bind it into uh, mitigation and development.
1: Nicholas Stern on the key issues for COP26. Antonia, how would you judge the success or failure of COP26?
4: That's a tough question to answer. Um, If we can see sort of movement over the next five, six weeks that we have before COP um, in some of those country commitments, that will be a success. I don't expect that we will close the entire gap, but if we can kind of get closer to where we need to be Um, that will send a very strong and powerful signal. Finance, of course, is the second piece. If we can see an additional wave of kind of ramped up financing commitments, that will go a long way to, let's say, building confidence in particular in the markets, developing markets, that um, the richer countries are very serious about their own commitment to tackling climate change, not only just domestically, but also as as a global challenge that needs to be addressed. Adaptation and, and resilience uh, is is absolutely critical to progress. And of course, this links to the finance discussion.
1: Well, we'll look out for any advances on all of those in the coming weeks as we go to COP26. But for now, Antonia Gavel, Head of Climate Action at the World Economic Forum, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. If you want to hear more on climate change and COP26, make sure you're subscribed to Radio Davos. Here's a taste of what's coming up as Glasgow approaches. I'm swimming in the water, I'm in
6: the ice and I've been in the ice for the last 18 years and I'm seeing the changes and
5: I'm feeling it.
1: You don't have to be an extreme swimmer like Lewis Pugh braving Sub-Zero Arctic waters to notice climate change is really happening.
5: Immense storms that come down, wipe away homes, forests going up in flames around the world, people in subways in China and in New York. So what? was seen as this far away problem is now here and now.
1: As the COP26 climate summit approaches, the Radio Davos podcast will take you to the heart of the problem with some of the world's top thinkers.
2: We are already in a period of climate change. It's already begun. Weather extremes will be ever more extreme and more common. So we'll have more severe storms, more floods, more droughts. And that's the result of not doing very much effective about it. Frankly, that's where we're going right now. That is the scenario we're headed toward.
1: In a series of special episodes leading up to the climate summit, Radio Davos Davos will take you into the cold but worryingly warming waters of the Arctic.
2: I remember opening my curtains
1: at 4am, getting ready for the swim, and one of these icebergs dislodged. It was like an explosion. Thousands and thousands and thousands of icebergs pouring out. It was like a motorway. And we'll talk to people who are not giving up hope that we can avert catastrophe.
5: We need different solutions that actually prioritise the well-being of people and the planet. We will have gotten the Earth
1: back on a much more benign climate trajectory. And as the politicians talk the talk.
0: The adolescence of humanity is coming to an end. It's time for humanity to grow up.
1: We'll be looking for solutions in areas such as the ocean, forests, energy, and our cities.
2: We could stop using our atmosphere as an open sewer.
1: Subscribe to Radio Davos wherever you get your podcasts and join the conversation at the World Economic Forum Podcast Club on Facebook. Don't miss our coverage of climate change and COP26.
0: That's would have a real impact
1: on Radio Davos. Please subscribe to Radio Davos wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review and join the conversation on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club. Look for that on Facebook. This episode of Radio Davos was written and presented by me, Roy Pomeroy, with thanks to Alex Court. And studio production was by Gareth Nolan. We'll be back next week with more on climate change and COP26. But for now, thanks to you for listening and goodbye.